Uh, this morning, I would like to begin our time together by reading a small section from the book of Romans, the eighth chapter. As Steve Brown says, if you're a Christian, you'll have your Bibles. Romans chapter 8. Steve Brown said that, not me. Steve Brown. Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to start in the 28th verse. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, We ask you to be here with us in this place this morning. We know that you are a God who keeps his promises, and so we trust that you are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts be your thoughts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I had a professor who said that it would be a good idea when you're preaching to start every sermon by sharing a little something of yourself with your audience. Just, you know, not anything secretive or shocking or dangerous, but just to to help connect, to share a little something about you with them. And I thought a good thing to share with you this morning, a little sort of thing to know about me is that I'm an exceptional father. You don't think I'm serious? I have it right here, I have have evidence. This is a Christmas card that my family received uh, two days ago. And it says this, Dear Aya, that's my exceptional wife, and Nick, that's exceptional me, Hazel, Patrick, and Charlie, those are our exceptional children. We love following all the Facebook updates of your family. No pressure, but we pretty much use you as examples of how we want to parent our future children. I think they've chosen, well, a good role model for them. Because see, most of the time, when my exceptional children run into my room exceptionally early in the morning, I at least consider getting up and playing with them and feeding them and caring for them and trying to impart the wisdom of the world to them, I at least consider it. But what I actually do is sort of slide out of bed with as little verticality as possible and go into the TV room and put on Disney Junior and go back to bed. And normally at, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock when they're waking me up, the stuff on 
that channel is not so objectionable, right? It's things like Little Einsteins or Jake and the Neverland Pirates or things that are at least pretending to be educational. But when I wake up for real, 8, 8.30, the shows on Disney Junior are much more shocking. Shows like Jesse and Austin and Allie, and I swear I'm not making this up, dog with a blog. We've, we've transitioned somewhere between 6.30 and 8.30 from nice cartoons to insane preteens who are clearly on methamphetamine. <laughs> Something going on on Disney Junior at 8.30 on Saturday morning, I caution you. I caution you. See, when I wake up at 8.30 and realize what my kids are now watching, I realize that I'm old. Because I don't understand this. Where, where are G.I. Joes? Where are Transformers? What's going on with children's television? It's not the only time that I feel old, of course. I also feel old whenever I'm playing any kind of sport at all. There used to be a time when if I was playing a sport and somebody younger than me showed up, I knew, just because they were younger than me, that they weren't as strong as me, they weren't as fast as me, they weren't as athletic as me, and I was going to have a natural advantage to beat them because of their youth. Now, now, when someone younger than me shows up, I'm worried. Because they're going to be faster than me. They're going to be stronger than me. They're not going to have this like I do. They're going to have a higher vertical than I have. I'm in trouble now when somebody younger than me comes. So again, I'm old. But though these are great ways to feel old, it's not the worst way. There is one way in which I feel old that gets me every single time. This actually happened for the first time a couple years ago. Perhaps this has happened to you. The most jarring and disappointing way to feel old is when you get a phone call mid-November probably from a sister-in-law in your family and she says, you know, I've been thinking, why don't we just get Christmas presents for the kids this year? Have, has a more disappointing sentence ever been spoken? Why don't we just get Christmas presents for the kids? The great thing about being in sort of an expanding family as sisters-in-law join, brothers-in-law join, is that I got more and more presents every year. The, the stack beside me as Christmas morning progressed got bigger and bigger. And then we started having kids and it sort of held on for a second. And then the phone call came. Why don't we just get Christmas presents for the kids this year? And my stack went. I'm old. I prefer getting gifts. Maybe, you know, this is one of those situations where I'm, I'm just the guy that says what everybody else is thinking. I prefer to get a gift than to give one. I like giving gifts. I like seeing the, the joy on someone's face when they open a, a gift from me that they really like. But I much prefer the joy on my face when I open a gift that I really like. 
Perhaps I'm the only one here. Maybe, maybe you don't feel this way, but probably the person next to you does. All right? There are those of us out there in the world that really like getting gifts. So if you're ever feeling like giving a gift, I'm available. Because our whole lives are about giving. Right? Our whole lives are about giving. Can't we just reserve Christmas morning for getting? Does, does Christmas have to be about giving too? We have to give to our company to our family, to our kids, to our church. One of the most famous quotes in American history is, ask not what you can... No, I'm going to get this wrong. (laughs) I was thinking about whether or not to do the accent, and thinking about that made me forget what the actual quote was. I'm going to spare you the accent. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Our lives are about giving. We're asked to put in a full day at work, go to the grocery store after, don't forget to put something in the thing for the Salvation Army at the grocery store, get home in time to drive your kids to all their stuff, help somebody change a tire on the way home if you see someone in distress, remember to clean the bathrooms once you get home, and then finally after dinner you've cleaned up the kitchen, once you finally get the kids to bed, you can finally sit down on the couch and open the mail and you've got letters from your university and your church asking for money. This is a day in the life. Give, give, give. And we're told that Christmas is about giving too, right? Tis better to give than to receive. I'm going to suggest this morning that tis better to receive than to give. And that Christmas especially is all about getting Gifts, getting presents, then giving them. Listen again to Romans 8. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called... And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And Christmas isn't the exception. Christmas is the rule. Listen to what the angels said to those shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A gift is given to you on Christmas. A gift is given to me on Christmas. Our gift exchanges on Christmas shouldn't be giving to remind ourselves how great giving is, but receiving to remind ourselves how great our gift has been. Look at the actor in our Romans reading. This is ridiculous. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined. He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he called, he called, he justified. To those whom he justified, he glorified. 
God is the actor at every point. God is the giver. We are the receivers. And this is what we remember at Christmas. Getting a gift. That feeling you got a couple days ago when you opened that gift and that smile crossed your face and that warmth was in your heart. That is, that was, that was just the complete Calvin and Hobbes. That was nothing. It was awesome, by the way. But compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, your Savior, it was nothing. Christmas isn't about giving. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things, everything under the tree is for you. A five-year-old doesn't appreciate it. I appreciate it. All the gifts are for us. Every single one. Christianity is about what God has given to us. Christianity is about getting, not giving. Maybe you knew that. Maybe that's old news. Maybe you, th- you thought, of, of course Christianity is not about giving. Christianity is about a free gift given to God that we do nothing to earn. Maybe that's old news to you. But you know what? If you're anything like me, you're terrible at getting good gifts. I am terrible at getting good gifts. When I went to college, my parents loaned me the money to buy a car. Maybe this is true for you too. It's sort of a standard rite of passage. You need a car. Your parents lend you the money, 0% interest. Just pay it back when you can. Of course, it's sort of ironic that you loan somebody who's going to college money to buy a car. There's zero income potential. It's outgoing potential. But as I made my way through school, I was sort of gradually, as I could, um, paying my loan back, my parents. And one day, sort of out of the blue, our sort of weekly obligational phone call home to mom, she says, you know, your father and I have been talking, and we've decided to forgive you your debt. Don't worry about paying us back. Now, it wasn't $100,000, but it was a couple thousand dollars. It was a couple thousand dollars that I didn't have. And what was my first immediate feeling? Gratefulness, wonder, excitement. I guess that's three feelings. But what was my immediate second feeling? Oh my gosh, get off the phone as quickly as possible. I'm incredibly uncomfortable. I don't know what to say. When we get a really good gift, we get really uncomfortable. Because the scales are all out of whack. Now, now we owe something more maybe than we can even repay. It was, it was enough to owe them the money, but I was working on that. To owe them this, this favor. What could I do? What could I say on the phone from 3,000 miles away that would adequately express how thankful I actually was? Thank you wasn't going to cut it. That's not enough. 
How about 10 thank yous? How about 10 thank yous and I'll give you a kidney later in life? Is that enough? I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't like my scales to be so out of balance, so I got off the phone as quickly as possible. There's a great episode of the Big Bang Theory in which Sheldon, it's around Christmas time, and Sheldon sees that his neighbor, Penny, is giving gifts to all the friends. And he sees that she's got one for him. And he says, what are you doing? What are you doing? And she says, it's Christmas, I got you a, I got you a gift. And he says, you haven't given me a gift. You've given me an obligation. Because now I have to respond in kind with a gift of the same commensurate value of the gift you've given me. He sees the gift not as a gift, but as an obligation. And if you've seen the episode, it's sort of worth seeing because what she's given him is a napkin that Leonard Nimoy has signed to him. And she says, sorry, it's a little dirty. He wiped his mouth with it. And of course, for Sheldon, that's like Valhalla, right? He says, I have the DNA of Leonard Nimoy. And then he says, all I need is a healthy ovum, and I can grow my own Leonard Nimoy. (laughs) It's funnier when he says it. It's not getting the gift that's terrible. It's having to repay the gift that becomes a burden. Imagine, imagine, what am I talking about? Imagine, you've just been through this. This has happened to you in the last week. What happens when you get a Christmas card from someone that you did not send a Christmas card to? Do you think, oh, how wonderful that so-and-so remembered me at the holidays? No, you think, oh no. Oh no, is there some way to get a card to them before Christmas? Is there a carrier pigeon? Can I hop a ride on a jumbo jet? Will, will an email suffice? No, clearly not. Is there any way that I can make it look like I haven't forgotten this person? Is there any way to balance the scales? We cannot stand for our scales to be out of whack. And the thing we do is work to get them back in balance. That's the thing we do. Even when we acknowledge that we've been given a great gift as we do as Christians at Christmas, this great gift, the coming of Christ, our Savior, we can't just let it be about receiving. We can't just rejoice in this great gift we've been given. We've got to make it about giving again. We've got to make it about giving back. And we make our Christianity like this. We we turn it right back into something about what we give to God, right? We rejected that out of hand five minutes ago, right? Of course we don't earn our salvation. Jesus Christ comes to us for free. We do nothing. He comes while we were yet sinners. He chases us down and saves us despite ourselves. One-way love. But now, now that we've gotten the gift and our scales are all out of whack, we think, good God, what do I have to do to balance these things out again? 
I'll do anything. I'll work hard. I'll give it my all. We Christians turn this great gift into an obligation, into something that we need to repay. We turn Kennedy's words into Christian words. Ask not what your God can do for you. Ask what you can do for your God. Are you living a life worthy of the death he died? If somebody were to ask you, if Jesus were to ask you, uh, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? You've heard all of these, right? Or um, the other one is, if, if being a Christian was illegal, would there be enough evidence to convict you? These are all things that made me feel terrible in college. Welcome to my experience. Ask not what your God can do for you, but what you can do for your God. This is what we've turned so often our Christianity into. What can you do to repay what he's done for you? We are terrible at receiving good gifts. There is a part where there's a a saying of Jesus where he says, he says, truly I say to you that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall never enter it. And I never really understood what that meant. I never, I understood it less once I had little children because little children are the worst at getting gifts. I mean, my house was a zoo on Christmas morning because the moment my three-year-old son had sort of opened a corner of the wrapping paper on his latest present, he wanted a next one. Like, heaven forbid I get a present, right? When am I going to get another present? Next present, next present, play, play, play. And I, I was like, can... You're... Karama's sitting right there. Can you say thank you for a second? Or at least imply that you're thankful. My parenting is on the line here. I want them to know that you know to say thank you. But I think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. When a kid gets a gift, they just want to go play. When I get a gift, I'm terrified about the scales. I want to make sure I can get the scales back in balance. And the better the gift, the more awkward I feel. For a kid, the better the gift, the more you want to go play with it. Forget saying thank you, you're running. And this, Jesus is saying, is how we ought to receive this gift. This gift of Jesus Christ. Stop worrying about saying thank you and go play. Ask not what you can do for your God. Ask what your God has done for you. This is what Christianity really is. Not what you can do for God, but what God has done for you. This, by the way, is why people come to church on Christmas and Easter and not the other times of the year. Because on Christmas and Easter, the preacher's not asking you to give, not telling you what to do, but telling you the story of what God has done for you. Two Sundays out of the year, 
Most churches, not this, not this one. Christmas and Easter are impossible for preachers to mess up. Just tell the story. What God has done for you. We're not asking you for something. We're offering you something. We're not asking you to give. We're get, you're getting something. And something that comes with no strings attached. And as we all know, but are too afraid to admit out loud, tis better to receive than to give. As long as there's no attendant obligation to return the favor. And the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ who came to save you, is this kind of gift. A gift without obligation. Many of you will have seen the film Saving Private Ryan. Uh, It's a movie with Tom Hanks and a host of other actors. It's about Private James Ryan, who in World War II served in the military with, I think, four brothers. And it just so happened that the four of his brothers were all killed in action on the same day. And so the powers that be decided that they were not going to let the fifth brother die too, so they sent in a squad, led by Tom Hanks, to rescue Private Ryan, saving Private Ryan. And sort of this whole film is about this moral conundrum, should we send, you know, eight guys to save just one guy? Is it worth it? What is a life worth? And as the squad actually does get whittled down person by person in their effort to save Private Ryan, the men start to question this even more pointedly. Is it worth it what we're doing? And at one point, Tom Hanks actually says out loud, this Ryan kid better be worth it. He better go home and cure cancer or invent the longer-lasting light bulb or something. He better be worth the sacrifice we're making. And at the end of the movie, when they have saved Private Ryan, but they're in the middle of a battle and they, when they do it, and Tom Hanks is mortally wounded. And he and, and Ryan are t- together on a bridge. And Tom Hanks is dying. And he sort of reaches out and grabs Ryan's shirt and says, earn this. Earn it. And then he dies. And we flash forward years into the future when Ryan is an old man and he's in a cemetery in France looking at Tom Hanks' headstone and he breaks down into tears and his wife runs up and says, what's wrong? And he says, tell me I've been a good man. Tell me I've been a good man. And she says, you have. But you can tell that he's not sure. He's terrified all these years later that he has not earned what Tom Hanks sacrificed for him. And we Christians all too often put Tom Hanks' words on Jesus' lips as he hung from the cross on Good Friday. Earn this. Earn it. Live a life worthy of the death I died for you. 
Jesus never said, earn this. He never said, earn it. And Christmas isn't about giving gifts. Christmas is about getting a gift, and Jesus said on that cross, it is finished. These things are true. This is good news for you today, right now. God relates to us by giving us a gift. This is the foundation of his relationship with us. His relationship with us is typified by the Christmas exchange. He gives us a gift, his one and only son. And he asks nothing in return. When Jesus cried out from the cross, he didn't say, earn this. He didn't say, pay me back. By his word and actions, he says, stop. Stop trying to repay a debt that I've forgiven. Lay your burdens down. I've already carried them. This Christmas gift, my life for yours, this gift that you could never earn and never repay, is yours for free. It is finished. <laughs>